Good morning. I'm Weemala. Today is November 22nd. It's Tuesday. And I look like I have a plant growing out of the top of my head. So if you're seeing if you're seeing the picture, it's a beautiful dried wild lavender. So we're still reading Pema Chodron's wonderful book, How We Live is How We Die. And this chapter that I'd like to read is called Five Flavors of Wisdom. It's a little bit longer than others, so so we can have some time with sitting practice. I may not read the whole chapter, and I'll read the, um, on Thursday, I'll read the, the rest of it. And I have to be careful with my time. I have to get off to my daily radiation treatments, which are going well. So this is Chapter 16, Five Flavors of Wisdom. The idea that wisdom and confusion are co-emergent had a profound impact on me the first time I learned about it. It was what first drew me to Tibetan Buddhism and the teachings of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. This was in the early 70s, when I was at the lowest point of my life. I had been to every ashram, visited every guru of every nationality and tradition. I had even tried a weekend of Scientology, but nothing seemed to speak to me about what was actually happening in my life about the big mess I considered my life to be. I was living in northern New Mexico where lots of hippies from Haight-Ashbury had come to explore the many communes and alternative lifestyles. One day I got into my friend's pickup truck and on the seat was a magazine called Garuda, published by Trungpa Rinpoche students. It was open to an article called Working with Negativity. The first paragraph practically knocked me off the seat. Trump, uh, Rinpoche said that we experience negativity as terribly unpleasant, foul-smelling, something we want to get rid of. But, he went on, if we look into it more deeply, it has a very juicy smell and is very alive. It is living and precise, connected with reality. When I look, <clears throat> excuse me, when I look back at that teaching, I wonder how I made heads or tails of it at the time. But I understood the basic message, which was, there's nothing wrong with what you're going through. Just stay with the energy and don't spin off. Then you'll discover something in here that has great value. You know, that is, that is great advice. We usually want to get distracted whenever there's anything wrong going on. Not long after that, Trungpa Rinpoche came to New Mexico and I was able to attend his teachings. From that point on, for the next 15 years or so, I had an ongoing opportunity to go deeper with these teachings under Rinpoche's guidance. 
One of the points that Rinpoche often made was that the wisdom we discover in our neurosis comes in different flavors. In the Buddhist teachings, there are five main types of wisdom, which are related to the five primary kleshas, craving, aggression, and ignorance, along with jealousy and pride. So craving, aggression, and ignorance we think of as the three poisons. Jealousy and pride comes along with the ego. Although everyone goes through the whole gamut of emotions, we tend to have one that stands out above the rest. We predominantly experience the neurotic aspect of that emotion. But with the help of these teachings, we can learn to recognize and connect with the wisdom aspect, the awakened, egoless side of the klesha. Excuse me. <laughs> we predominantly, I'm going to read that again. We predominantly experience the neurotic aspect of that emotion. But with the help of these teachings, we can learn to recognize and connect with the wisdom aspect, the awakened, egoless side of the klesha. Remember, kleshas are just these difficult emotions that we don't want to suppress, we don't want to act out. Then the energy of the emotion can serve to enlighten us rather than bring us down. Some people, for instance, are frequently caught up in aggression. This klesha comes in their relationships, at work, in many areas of their life. If they let it go unchecked, it brings great harm to themselves and the people around them. It can turn their life into a living hell. If we take the approach of using our emotions as the path to awakening, we can look more deeply into the aggression and try to contact its basic energy directly. If we're able to do this without letting our ego get too involved, we'll find a, specific, a special flavor of the emotion, the flavor of awakened mind. Okay, let's read that one at that, par that paragraph again. If we take the approach of using our emotions as the path to awakening, we can look more deeply into the aggression and try to contact its basic energy directly. If we're able to do this without letting our ego get too involved, we'll find a special flavor of the emotion, the flavor of awakened mind. From this point of view, the arising of any klesha becomes a great opportunity to tap into our deepest nature, our open-minded, open-hearted, egoless nature. In the case of aggression, we find what's known as mirror-like wisdom. This has the qualities of sharpness and precision. It cuts right through deception and sees everything clearly. Mirror-like, mirror-like wisdom is a particular water that appears when the ice of aggression thaws. The klesha of craving is co-emergent 
with discriminating wisdom. The neurotic manifestation of the energy appears as grasping, needing, wanting. But when we melt this ice by relaxing and letting the energy be, we find its awakened aspect. This is a warm, compassionate quality that goes along with an ability to be connected to the details of life. Noticing, taking interest in, having profound insight into the details. People who are caught up in the neurotic aspect of jealousy uh, tend to be speedy, busy, and critical, wanting to create a neat, uniform world. The awakened aspect is known as all-accomplishing wisdom. When we experience this energy free from struggle and contraction, it allows us to accomplish things easily for the benefit of everyone involved. <clears throat> the neurotic aspect of pride is associated with taking up a lot of space. In physical form, this could show up in the way someone who arrives at a meditation retreat sets up their place. In addition, this. In addition to their cushions, they put down 14 blankets, three thermoses, two shawls, and a pair of slippers. If we connect with the essence of this energy, it becomes the wisdom of equanimity. Instead of doing so much picking and choosing, there's more of an opening to life as it is, an attitude of letting whatever happens happen, a sense of egolessness. The clasha of ignorance has the qualities of being dull, lethargic, and out of touch. In its extreme form, it becomes numbness. The awakened aspect is called the dharma-dhatu wisdom. Dharma-dhatu roughly means all-encompassing space. It's, a, it's the wide-open, fresh, unconditioned space that permeates everything and can accommodate anything. In the 1980s, I had the opportunity to observe this quality in both its awakened and neurotic aspects in a fellow student. I had known this man only as a teacher. He was a brilliant, spacious, all-accommodating teacher. His words conveyed immense stillness and openness. When he taught, it always resonated with that part in me. In his low-key way, he created an atmosphere of expansiveness. Over time, I got to know him personally and often experienced him as spaced out, verging on depression, prone to boredom and grumpiness. It was my first experience of seeing the two aspects, the two co-emergent aspects of one emotional quality manifested so clearly. The key point to remember is that in all five of these ways, the wisdom and the neurosis are co-emergent. We can't have one without the other. There's a tendency to think, I don't want the jealousy. I just want the all-accomplishing wisdom. I don't want any neurotic propensities. I just want the enlightened parts. 
but that's like a thirsty person in a desert miraculously coming across a block of ice and saying, I don't care for ice. I'm going to throw it away and look for water somewhere else. There is nowhere else to look. It's just a matter of recognizing that the true nature of ice is no different from thirst-quenching water. In the same way, if we want to discover our own wisdom, there's nowhere to look other than in our own neurosis. We can discover that there's emotion with ego and emotion that is egoless. When Trungpa Rinpoche started teaching in the West, he began with a completely open field because he was among the first people to present Tibetan Buddhism in depth to this part of the world. He had limitless possibilities of how to go about educating people. So I always found it interesting that one of the topics he emphasized early on was the wisdom inherent in the kleshas, those difficult emotions. Each of the five wisdom neurosis pairs is connected to a Buddha family or awakened family. Each family is centered on a particular Buddha, a fully awakened being who embodies the awakened aspect of the klesha. As Trungpa Rinpoche put it, you think of enlightenment as one of those serene Buddhas, a little smile, so calm, so beautiful to gaze upon, but there are many ways of being sane. On one hand, we can think of wisdom as pure, unbiased, open space, yet it comes in qualities. Enlightenment comes in five basic qualities, five ways of being sane. Becoming familiar with the Buddhas is exceedingly helpful, not just in this life, but as we will see in the bardos yet to come. And there is an appendix in the book of the five Buddha families and their qualities. It's in, it's in an appendix. So it's a chart. I, I might be able to put up a link to it for you that I'll put on my, uh, on Facebook tomorrow. Mirror-like wisdom and aggression are connected with the Vajra family. Its symbol, the Vajra, is a ritual object that represents indestructibility. The essence of the Vajra quality and its mirror-like wisdom is the Buddha known as, oh, I've got to pronounce these Tibetan names, Akshobhya. Sorry, I know I'm mispronouncing it. Akshobhya. Discriminating wisdom and the neurosis of craving are connected to the Padma family, symbolized by the lotus. Its awakening embodiment is the Buddha Amitabha. Dharmadhatu wisdom and ignorance correspond to the Buddha family and the Buddha Varochana. The wisdom of equanimity and the klesha of pride go with the Ratna family, symbolized by a jewel, and the Buddha Ratna Sambhava. 
Finally, all-encompassing wisdom and jealousy are associated with the karma family and the Buddha Amogasiddhi. And all these families are connected to their own color, element, season, time of day, and so on, to any aspect of the phenomenal world, as Rinpoche said. This is different from the teachings we have in our uh, Theravadan uh, wisdom teachings the, from the Pali Canon, but these are really beautiful teachings that can help, very helpful to uh, have these images that might be helpful for you. And it's good to know what our brother Buddhists are looking at and how, they're, how they put things together. An essential thing to remember, and one that will serve us well in the bardos, those are the transition periods in our life and after this life, is that the nature of all these Buddhas, these awakened beings, is no different from the nature of our own mind. Rinpoche thought it was very important to know what our personal Buddha family was, because this could serve as a key to contacting our enlightened nature, our Buddha nature, which he often referred to as our basic goodness. Whatever klesha consumes us most frequently and powerfully. So, this is important to help discover this. Whichever one we feel most weary of, most stuck in, most ashamed of, is the most direct gateway to our deepest wisdom, our basic goodness. That is, of course, if we can contact its energy directly without the grasping and rejecting of ego clinging. You may accuse yourself of being too angry, too clingy, too spaced out, too envious, or too arrogant. But within each of these disturbing emotions is the personal wisdom of your Buddha family, your own style of sanity. You may think to yourself, I have a terrible anger problem. But an enlightened being would turn it around and say, lucky you, you have direct contact with the mirror-like wisdom of Buddha Akshobhya. I, I really, that's one I can't pronounce. If you don't struggle with that energy, if you become one with that energy, it will wake you up. Rinpoche wanted us to get the quality of our chief neurosis intimately, to become familiar with its very juicy smell, and to see that as part of the richness of our being, he wanted us to stop wishing we were different, to stop trying to change or hide from our basic quality. Instead, he wanted us to welcome it, to let the ice melt into water, simply by being conscious of the klesha, relaxing with the energy, allowing it to just be. But this didn't mean feeding the emotion or anything like that. Feeding it would be to act it out or to repress it. What he encouraged us to do was rest in the middle of the energy as best we could and let that ability to rest extend gradually and naturally over time. In his book, Journey Without Goal, 
Rinpoche says, working with the Buddha families, we discover that we already have certain qualities. We cannot ignore them or reject them or try to be something else. We have our aggression, our passion, our jealousy, our resentment, our poverty mind, our ignorance, or whatever we have. We belong to certain Buddha families already. We should work with them and relate with them and experience them properly. They are the only potential we have. And when we work with them, we see what we can use them. We see that we can use them as stepping stones to enlightenment. At Gampo Abbey, oh, we're running out of time soon. At Gampo Abbey, we once had a running joke about who you'd want to be your liaison when you were doing a solo retreat. The person who brings things to your cabin. Our system was that the retreat would leave, the retreatant would leave a note outside the cabin if they needed something. And the liaison would check it and come back with the groceries or whatever it was. Say you wrote down, I'd like enough cheese to last me for the week. The joke was, what would a representative from each Buddha family bring you? The Vajra liaison would give you seven thinly and beautiful slices, and beautifully sliced pieces of cheese, separated by one from one another by wax paper. The Ratna person would send you the whole cheese. Padma would bring the cheese in a basket with a checked cloth adorned by some wild flowers they picked. The Karma liaison would fill their time driving to 10 stores looking for the perfect kind of cheese and then complain to you how exhausting that was. The person from the Buddha family would just forget to come. Actually, they... I don't know which Buddha family that is. Uh, actually, they'd even forget to check your note. This joke was related to a game Trungpa Rinpoche invented to help people get a sense of the particular flavor of each Buddha family. He called it the qualities game. I played with the students at Gampo Abbey a few years ago. I played this game a few years ago when I was teaching on the Bardos. One person would think of a particular Buddha family and the others would try to guess which one it was. They would do this by asking, asking questions like, if this Buddha family were a country, what country would it be? Or if it were a piece of music, what would it be? Once when I chose Padma, one of the probing questions was, if you were a kind of footwear, what kind would you be? I, as Padma, replied, a soft pair of orange slippers. To the question, if you were a profession, what profession would you be? My reply was, a hospice worker. When people catch on to the game, they can usually guess the Buddha family correctly with a few tries. This helps them become more attuned to the specific qualities that go with each family. Oh, we're almost finished. Okay, so I'll go ahead and finish it. We'll, we can see the fruition of working with the Buddha families in some of the great sages of our time. When I think of my own teachers, although I can't pin them down for sure, 
I have a sense of their particular quality. His Holiness, the 16th Karmapa, had a strong Padma family quality. His presence was like golden light, like the sun. He had a warm laugh and would take my hand in the most endearing way. His Holiness, Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche, a teacher highly revered by all my, all my main teachers, had more of a quality of white light. In his presence, instead of being in the warmth of the sun, it felt more like going out into vast space. His students called him Mr. Universe. For me, he exemplified the wisdom of the Buddha family. When Trung, with Trungpa Rinpoche, it was harder to tell. He showed a lot of the qualities, but maybe it was easiest to see his Buddha family quality. He had that spacious, steady, wise presence associated with the Dharmadhatu wisdom. My main living teacher, Zygar Kantrul Rinpoche, came across to many people as strongly Vajra. He's very smart and loves to study the, study the Dhamma. And when you hear him teach, he knows how to cut right through. He manifests mirror-like wisdom. But when I got to know Rinpoche better, I discovered that he's also very Ratna. If you visit him, you see that he has all kinds of statues, Tonka paintings, and other objects. The first time I went to his retreat cabin, I thought, there's not an inch of space for any more to go in here. <laughs> but since then, he's fit in quite a bit more. For me, Vajra and Ratna are his basic qualities, his mirror-like wisdom and his wisdom of equanimity. All of us have our own basic qualities, and for all of us, they contain our wisdom. They are the only potential we have. To emphasize that our Buddha family qualities are nothing to be ashamed of, Trungpa Rinpoche compared them to ethnic cooking. Whatever culture or part of the world we're from, Africa, South Asia, the Middle East, Europe, we can be proud of the food we cook. It's part of who we are. In the same way, we can be proud of being Vajra or Karma or Padma. It's part of who we are. The only difference between ourselves and highly advanced practitioners is that we spend most of our time contracting against our motions and perpetuating neurosis. While they are able to relax with their Buddha family energy, dwell in its wisdom, and display its wonderful qualities. We tend to struggle with who we are, while people, people such as my teachers step fully and confidently into who they are. They are able to make the best use of their inherent qualities to enjoy life and to benefit others. That was a long chapter, but very interesting, really uh powerful about working with working with those qualities rather than trying to uh, fight with them or feel defeated by them. So I don't think we have time today to uh, to meditate. So let's just sit for two minutes. I hope that uh, reading that much was meaningful to you made me think about a neogram and uh, different uh, things that 
help us look at different personalities. So just be with your breath for just a minute or two. When I have to go in just a few minutes, you can just keep sitting, just taking in everything around you. And let it be okay. Now, may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings everywhere. Be kind, be helpful, be happy. Thank you. And I'll be back on Thursday.